Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The summer, we, uh, while we were traveling up in the northeastern part of the United States, we took a day to go to Salem, Massachusetts. Um, my middle daughter, who is always uh, enamored with strange things, really wanted to go and see where the Salem witch trials had happened. And we explored the history of the development of the Salem witch trials, um, but what really struck me was the memorial to those who were killed. It was a really kind of serene place of walls that lined around a, a park with a, a giant tree in the middle. There was a shelf on each place where one of the, to recognize one of the people who had died. And on the other side of it was um, a cemetery. And the artist who put together this memorial took down a portion of the wall that separated the memorial from the cemetery. Buried on the other side of the wall were the folks who had perpetrated the acts of violence against those that they claimed to be witches. The artist wanted to say through this movement of removing the wall that those who had perpetrated violence would have to live with their decisions forever that they couldn't turn a blind eye to the injustice, they had to see it for the rest of their life in the world that is to come. Frankly, I found it really kind of satisfying. I really rather like to think that judgment for other people has to do something like that, that they have to sit and they have to think about what they have done. I kind of would rather like to think that the next life is like a giant time out for everybody else. <laughs> think about what you did, and until you're ready to apologize, don't get up. <laughs> and of course, there's things that we shouldn't forget quickly, right? There was a lot of debate in post-World War II, what do we do with the death camps that Nazi Germany had built? Some wanted to demolish them, try to remove that memory. But there's some things that we really probably should never forget. Ezekiel, in the chapters leading up to this morning reading, is reminding people all of the things that they have done. And Ezekiel has placed them at the proverbial timeout. There's nothing in the text that says that the people really were falsely accused. They had mistreated the poor. They had not cared about the widows or the orphans. They cared more about um, the ritual purity than they did for compassion for those who were often forgotten. A few months ago, I talked about how Ezekiel was doing outrageous things and hoping that people would listen to him, like cooking, cooking food over human dung and saying, this is what will happen to you if you don't listen. 
Like the Trail of Tears, the Babylonians have forced many Israelites out of their land and into Babylon, a place where the Israelites wondered, how can we sing a song in a foreign land? The people who remain, the people that Ezekiel and Jeremiah are writing to, they go, well, at least the worst is over. And in this face of believing that the worst is over, they have grown complacent, deciding to live in the new reality rather than to turn to God and repent. And Ezekiel has the um, duty, the honor from God to tell them, guess what? The worst is not, um, it, the worst is yet to come. O wicked ones, you shall surely die, says the Lord. The kingdom of Israel thought they would stand forever as all kingdoms do. The people who were left in the rubbles of forced removal wondered where God was. Maybe God was not all that powerful. Maybe God had used all his power in delivering them from slavery. Maybe God was so sick of the people and their disobedience, God went and found a new people. The people whom Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve, have chosen death. The people thought, well, let's just blend in. Let's just try to forget what God has told us to do. Before we think too harshly of them, think about how often we, how often I, forget about my own commitments to God. How often I am more than willing to try to get along. Don't make waves. But the Lord says, O wicked ones, you surely shall die. Ezekiel in the chapter just prior to this had told the people, you will drink from your sister's cup of terror, a cup of, full of scorn and of derision. But this chapter serves as a transition in the prophet's writings. People who said they have no hope began to be given hope by Ezekiel. Like Jeremiah who said, you will not live to receive the benefit, I am planting a vineyard that future generations who are returned will enjoy. Ezekiel lets them know at this moment that God has not forgotten them. God pleads with the people, turn back. I don't take pleasure in seeing the suffering of people. God says, my heart aches seeing you in pain. David Sheff in his book, Beautiful Boy, which Steve Carell uh, turned into a movie, reflects upon his own son's addiction to meth. He writes, I believe in hope that he'll be back. He'll break free of his illness. He'll come home, and in the meantime, I wait. And I'm scared, really scared. Scared in a way that I've never been before. Scared of what will happen to him scared of what will happen to me. If any of you have ever loved someone who is an addict, you get a little glimpse into the heart of what God's life is like. 
You know, like God knows, you can't love someone into health and you can't hate somebody into health. Christians read these passages from Ezekiel and they focus on the judgment part and they miss the real power of the text. Our transgressions and our sins weigh upon us, the people say. How can we live? Our transgressions and our sins weigh upon us. How can we live? The people who are weighed down by their sins are fearful that God will hold against them everything that they have done. Those of you who are married, I am sure at some point you've had a disagreement with your spouse and your spouse remembers the time on June 1st, 1983, when you said, and we assume that that's what God is like, that God remembers all those things and God says, well, that's nice that you've promised to turn now, but what about all those things? And the people ask that question to God, and God says, I have forgotten all of that. Mark Driscoll, some of you all may know who he is, is a celebrity pastor who, like a zombie, keeps coming back and getting churches. <laughs> Preached a sermon in which he says, God hates you. God is fed up with you. God is sick and tired of you. God has suffered long enough with you. And thousands of people went to this church to hear this message that God is against you. Now, I know every single one of you would never in your wildest imagination ever say that to a number, to anyone else. But here's the thing. One of the things I have learned as a pastor is that many of us look at ourselves in the mirror and we think that very message that Mark Driscoll preaches. We would never say it to another human being, but too often we hear and say that message to ourselves. That when it comes to you and your life and what you have done and how God must feel about the person that you see in your mirror, your inner dialogue sounds more like Mark Driscoll then it sounds like Jesus' voice of grace. You may not know this, but as a pastor, I definitely do. Even though you would never hear it said in a sermon, you tell yourself that surely God is fed up with the mess that you have made of your marriage, your mistakes that you made with your kids, or the way that your life doesn't seem to measure up to what you expected. Even though that you would never dream of saying to someone else, there's no that there's no God who forgive what you have done. That's exactly what you tell yourself when it comes to the secret that God knows about you, that you pray that nobody knows. Even though there's no way you'd ever consider saying it to someone else, you will tell, still tell yourself that there's no way your faith is deep enough, commitment strong enough, belief firm enough to ever truly please God like the people that Ezekiel is writing to, there's a portion of yourself that says that, that can't ever be forgiven. And even though you would never cross to, it would never cross your mind to say to someone else, God must be angry with you for something, God must be punishing you, many of you think that that's exactly how God works. 
I can't think of one of you who had led a voice like Mark Driscoll into this pulpit on a Sunday morning, and yet I know a lot of us whose voice sounds just like Mark's in our head. On August 20th, 2013, Michael Hill, a 20-year-old man who was off his psychotic medic- psychiatric medications because his Medicaid had expired, walked into the McNair Discovery Learning Academy in Decatur, Georgia. He was armed with an assault rifle and 500 rounds of ammunition. He put on his social media post, there's nothing to live for. There were 870 children in McNair Discovery Learning Academy that summer morning, all of them between the ages of 5 and 11. Entering the school, Michael Hill immediately took a hostage, not a student, not a teacher, but the school's bookkeeper, Antoinette Tuff. And I like to think that Antoinette might be a lot like God. Though she rightly feared for her life, Tufford offered an odd, miraculous act. Boldly, the school bookkeeper calmly spoke to the aspiring mass shooter as one of his neighbor would speak to a fellow neighbor. For nearly an hour and a half, Tuff spoke to to Hill with empathy and with love. The emergency dispatcher from 911 recorded every word of their conversation. Her words to him during that abysmal time managed to save not only the lives of everyone else in the school, but the gunman's own life. We're not going to hate you, Tuff told him. Tuff referred to him as sir, and later as the conversation went off to sweetie, the bookkeeper shared with the gunman stories of her own struggle for her own life to calm him how her own recent divorce and dealing with a son with multiple disabilities had worn her down and was almost at the same place he had been. At one point, according to the 911 call, Tuff told Hill, it's going to be all right, sweetie. I just want you to know that I love you, okay? I'm proud of you. You're doing a good thing that you're just going to give up. Now, don't worry about it. We'll go through this life together. You're going to be okay. I thought the same thing. I tried to commit suicide last year after my husband left me, but but look at me now. I'm okay. You'll be okay. I sort of think that God does that with us. Maybe we're not at that extreme point, but all of us at some point have sat there and thought there's nothing more to hope for. Words that the people that Ezekiel wrote to thought. And God said, there is hope. There's always hope. Because I am God. Amen.